Hi there, and welcome home to the Two Story Podcast. I'm your host, Elena, and today I'll be speaking with the guy who is lucky enough to call himself my boyfriend, Willie Newmeyer. Willie's a mechanic at the Audi dealership here in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we have been together for almost three years now. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world, and I'm so excited for you to hear about him today. Let's talk backstory. Willie was born in Jennings, Louisiana, and after graduating high school, he went to UL for a brief stint before switching over to a technical college so that he could become a mechanic. He worked at the Volkswagen dealership for quite some time before switching over to the oil field briefly, came back to Volkswagen, and now he has settled at the Audi dealership. He does autocross for fun and loves to pick on me, (laughs) so I'm excited for you to hear about that today. Today we'll be speaking about Willie's life growing up, some of his favorite things about his yellow Corvette, and his favorite things about me as well. (laughs) I hope you love this episode as much as I love, adore, and care for Willie. Let's get started. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. Just okay? Yeah. Okay. I would look outside the window right now and tell everyone what the weather looks like, but we are in an enclosed space with no windows, so I can pretty much assure you that it's muggy and gross outside right now. Yeah. Yeah? How was mowing the grass? It was muggy and gross. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's just jump right in. What was life like for you growing up? Um, it's pretty, I don't know. It changed a lot from when I was a little kid to adolescent to a, like a teenager. What would you say is one of the biggest lessons that you learned from your life growing up that you use every day now? Um, to be self-reliant. Where did you learn that from? Uh, just having to figure stuff out. Can you give me an example? I don't know. I mean, like in high school, I was broke and I had crappy vehicles. So they broke a lot and somebody had to fix them. And it couldn't afford for it to be anybody but me. Tell me about your life in high school being broke and how, do you mind sharing how you got there or at least a little bit about that? Um, I mean, some of it's pretty personal, but uh, I ended up living on my own through junior and senior year and um, those circumstances were better than the ones previous. So that was... uh, it was like a stress relief not to have to worry about my environment at home. Um, but it was additional stress not knowing how to buy food or if my bills could get paid. Being in such a position at such a young age, I would think you would have to grow up at a much more rapid rate than anyone else your age. How did that affect your relationships and friendships with people that you were hanging out with at the time? Um, I mean, most of my friends were a lot older than me, so I would assume that was why. 
I mean, I had friends that were my age, but it wasn't like we could talk about life because our circumstances were so different. Mm-hmm. Did that affect your, like, friendship in any way, negatively, positively? Do you think that, you know, you had better or worse, not worse, but, you know, better friendships because you didn't connect with them on a personal level? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we didn't really think about it like that. We were like 17-year-old dudes who were just hanging out and working together. So what did you do for work while you were in high school? Um, well, when I was 13 to 16, I worked at a four-wheeler shop. And then once I could be employed legally, I started working at a restaurant. <laughs> Don't expose your employer at the four-wheeler shop. Yeah. Uh, what would you say was something that you learned about the world and other people from your experience being so young and working in a shop with, you know, other people? Um, I mean, that was, it was, it wasn't that, I didn't work with other people that much. I kind of did my own thing. Like he would, I would go in after school. So he would be kind of wrapping up for the day. So he would be, you know, taking care of his paperwork and he would just give me directions on whatever repairs on whatever bike needed to be made or if I was just cleaning up the shop. What did you learn about leadership from the guy that you worked for? Well, it was just him. Um, So there wasn't, like, there wasn't much leadership knowledge to be gained there. I don't, I didn't ever think about that. Okay. I mean, what about this guy helped you to feel like oh okay I gotta clean the shop today I'm just gonna do it was it because it was a job and you needed the money or did it have anything to do with the guy at all uh no I don't I don't think so it was just that like this guy I mean I agreed to be there and do whatever the guy asked so whatever he asked I did it you know tell me more about that mindset for you how do you mean I mean, you were there, so you had to do it. You know, you agreed to be there at 13. Not a whole lot of kids have that mindset. 13 is a kid. So how did you get that mindset? How did you keep it? Um, well, I mean, I, I wanted money to, you know, buy different stuff I wanted for my four-wheeler and dirt bike. And then um, it became less of a want and more of a necessity to have that mindset. Can you turn the gain up on your mic a little bit? Perfect. So after you graduated high school, how did you decide what you were going to do next? Um, well, I was pretty decent at math and I liked building things so people told me mechanical engineering would be a good degree for me to pursue so that was pretty much the direction I went and then what happened um well I graduated high school um and I was gonna go to UL with um 
where my dad lived so I was gonna move in with him so I didn't have to pay rent or any other bills and the summer before I started college he got diagnosed with lung cancer and then what um, then I failed most of my classes that first semester um, except for English and the engineering class and um, I dropped out and went to SLCC for automotive technology. At least you were good at the engineering class, right? I guess so. It was the first one. <laughs> What's well, got to make you feel better that you at least passed that one? Yeah, that's true. That's why I was there. <laughs> uh, so tell me, I mean, you and I know each other a lot better than these people know you. So um, for those that don't know you, you are really into cars and you grew up around cars and you know building and working on them why did you choose to go into engineering as opposed to automotive technology in the first place um well it was always looked down on to go to a technical college I mean it's still there's still shame associated with me telling people that my degree is from a technical college is that shame from you or is that shame that you think other people put on you um, no one put it on me, but there was, it was implied in conversations that only a four-year degree was, that was the only way to be a valuable member of society. Mm. And do you think that there's shame that you feel when you tell people that you got a technical degree? Um, I don't think so, because I think I've managed to do a lot with that. Sure. Was there... I mean, at first, was it tough to tell people that you were in school for that? What were your conversations like, you know, right after? And how did you manage your emotion around that? Um, well, I mean, while I was in the school, most of my time was spent either with the friends I made from that class or with my dad. Um, so... There wasn't really anyone to express that with, you know, mm -hmm. um, and like after I, I was pretty much immediately working and a lot of the people I hung out with did the same type of work I did. So it wasn't a factor as much. Yeah, it wasn't like you were going to dinner with mechanical engineers and having to tell them that, you know, you went to a technical college, I guess. Yeah. I mean, my roommate, Don, he was, um, I think he was going for chemical engineering at that point. And we would basically, him and I would talk about it a lot. And we were both like, it's kind of a crapshoot because like he's accruing debt, but he's going to make way more money once he's finally finished. And then I don't have any debt, but I'm not making that much money at this time. So it was like can I increase my income enough to justify this or not? Yeah. Um, where did your love of cars and building cars and working on them come from? Um, definitely my grandpa and my mom. I mean, I spent a ton of time with my grandpa working in the shop and just being around cars, like, I mean, ever since I was a toddler. Tell me a story of a time that really kind of 
puts that love into like a neat little box for you. Tell me about a time that you think back to when you think of where your love of cars came from. Um, well, I, I don't even remember how old I was. Um, but at some point, I guess I was in maybe third or fourth grade. Um, my grandpa had bought this 72 or 71 Chevy Nova that was uh, set up to drag race. And we would go to the drag strip in Eunice when it was still open. And so I can remember like how loud and fast all the cars were and how excited it would be. And like just this, all the different smells of, you know, gas and burning rubber and everything like that is um, anytime I smell those smells now, there's nostalgia with it. Yeah. For the people that are listening, what was your grandfather like? What was his life like before? Um, I, that was your grandfather that traveled, right? Yeah. So tell me about that. Um, I mean, I don't... He was a mischievous kid. I know that. Um, and he lived... He lived a hard life. He joined the Marines when he was 17 and lied on his paperwork so that he could go to war early. Um, He went to the Korean War, and I don't really know much about that, but I know that, I mean, he, he never worked easy jobs. He was, you know, an electrician climbing poles, which he was doing this in, like, the 60s. And then... um I'm not sure all of the different jobs he held. I know when when I was born, I believe they were working overseas and he did some kind of oil field construction contractor work. What, um, is it Tunisia? Yeah, that's one of the places they went. Um, and he, you have like a bunch of little mementos from there, huh? Yeah. Cool. Um... What else can I ask you about? What did you learn? What what characteristic of your personality or your character now do you think is most reflective of your grandfather? Um, well, he for sure, like, the way he showed love to people was to pick on them and torment them. <laughs> so that's definitely something that I do. Yep. <laughs> I know that firsthand. What about your parents? What um, what about their relationship together sticks out to you? What about them as people sticks out for you um, as a memory? Um, I mean, I don't remember. I don't have any fond memories of their relationship because they separated when I was like, in I think third grade um or fourth maybe and um but I mean as far as their individual characteristics I I definitely admire my dad's work ethic he was always I mean to a fault willing to work any amount of hours and days necessary um and my mom had a very humble work ethic in the way that 
she was willing to um if you asked her to do something she was just willing to do it for the sake of the task getting done and it it she wouldn't see things as demeaning or anything like she knew how to do a lot of things but if somebody needed her to mop floors she would mop floors like it wasn't beneath her Mm. Uh, how would you say that that you know uh, humility is modeled in your personal life and your personal character now um well it's taken a conscious effort to try to be like that um and to just accept that if there's something to get done it needs to get done you know by whatever means and you can't let your ego get involved in that sounds like what you want to say to me when i say i don't want to do laundry (laughs) don't let your ego get involved we gotta fold this we gotta hang these up um Okay, so after you graduated from SLCC, you went on to work for Volkswagen, correct? Yeah. You were working for AutoZone while you were in school, mm-hmm. and then you switched to working for a dealership. How? I don't. I don't understand what the interview process is like for mechanics. What is? What was it like at the? very start of your career i mean what was is it as easy as hey i know how to work on cars and okay cool we're hiring um well i had uh three people working at volkswagen who i had gone to slcc with um so they got two of them i knew fairly well so i got good recommendations from them um and i mean the interview process was just really to have a conversation and see if you're a competent person and then see what happens from there how did you know that you know vw was a good fit for you as opposed to another company um well there was comfort in the fact that i knew people there Mm -hmm. so that i wouldn't be um i would be able to for sure learn from someone um whereas i didn't know any technicians at other dealerships or anywhere else that i trusted so um there was no certainty that i would be able to like get a hold of everything there Mm -hmm. and you enjoy some of the vehicles that vw makes so it wasn't like you were you know you hated everything well i didn't know I didn't even know all of the models Volkswagen had then. That was in 2012. Um, I had to learn what the SUVs were called. Like, I, di- I didn't know anything about those cars. And then I worked on all the worst ones for years, so I didn't like them. Um, and then I guess around the three or four year mark, I started to appreciate them more. What would you say is the biggest learning curve in terms of learning a new make of a car when you're working on it? Like if you switched, like you switched from Volkswagen to Audi, that's not much of a transfer, I guess, because they're both German-made cars. 
And they're similar, but... Well, Volkswagen and Audi are... Uh, Volkswagen owns Audi. So right. all of their software for diagnostics, um, all of their like wiring diagrams and repair manuals are the same, um, which is a large advantage. But if I were to switch to like a... I don't know, like a, a Korean like Kia or something like that, um, I wouldn't know their warranty procedures. I wouldn't know their repair procedures. And, you know, there, there are little details that um, you have to spend a lot of time looking for when you're first getting oriented with different repairs. So it's less about the parts of the car and more about the systems and processes that the particular dealership or brand has. Is that what I'm, am I hearing you right? Yeah, because every manufacturer is going to implement, um, I mean, I, I assume it's all copywritten as far as the way the software is written and the way the repair manuals appear. Um, so like the style of pictures they use, you know, um, they're all going to be somewhat vague. So like with Audi, I'm used to what they're vague about so I can look out for it. Whereas with another manufacturer, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't notice those little details. What was your... You know, what What part of working on cars at a dealership outside of technical school after growing up around cars and growing that love for, you know, cars with your grandfather, what part of, you know, finally being a mechanic and working for Volkswagen, what part of you did that fulfill? Um, well, I mean, the idea of fixing cars is nice because you're helping people. Um, which it's, it's hard to keep that mindset working at a dealership, um, because they can just generally be so profit driven, but what is beneficial to working there as opposed to like just any independent shop is that I get continued training. There's always, you know, as new technology is released, I'm always, being sent to a school to learn about it and keep up so I don't fall behind. Yeah, I mean, you're going to training pretty soon. So yeah. that's exciting. What prompted you to, I mean, I know this, but the people at home don't know this. You switched from Volkswagen to Giles Nissan Subaru to... Volkswagen again, right? Or did you go to Audi from there? I forgot. Well, so I worked for Volkswagen for a year in 2012 to 2013. Um, they, they just, I mean, as they always have had pretty poor management, I left um, for more money to go to an oil field job. I went work there for a year. Um, and then Volkswagen called me after that year and offered me like almost double what I was making when I left. So I went back there and then I worked there for, I was 14 to 19. So I worked there for five years. 
um, and then the step towards um, to work at Giles was it was a, a different kind of challenge because it was a management role and um, it was something that I was really unsure if I would enjoy it or not enjoy it at all and so it was a chance um, but I knew that I had to get out of Volkswagen so it was pretty much by any means necessary so I left and I did not enjoy that role um, and it, it wasn't just a management role there was so much more customer interactions too I mean I was deal with like sometimes 50 or 60 people every day um, on busier days and then um, after that I, in in that process of switching jobs um, Audi had offered me a job as well so I accepted that offer mm -hmm. it's all coming back to me now yeah well it was um, the management job, the idea there was that if if I could teach myself to enjoy it, um, I could put, um, I guess, all of my eggs in that basket and really apply myself, and you can make a really good living there. Um, the other option was to, I guess, like take a demotion kind of and go back to being a technician um, under the pretense that I would have more free time to build a shop and then build cars that I actually like. Mm -hmm. Okay, so pause, rewind back to 2013, 2014. When you chose to go from Volkswagen to the oil field, what was your life like then outside of, you know, work? What was... What was your motivation for making more money? What was your motivation for making the career change after, you know, already knowing that building cars was what you were passionate about? Why the um, just absolute turnaround of careers? Well, I was still a mechanic. Um, and the idea was to work a 14 and 14 schedule where I would have the free time to work on cars I would make more money, which would mean I could buy a house because I was still renting then. Um, and I also could have more free time to dedicate towards building cool cars. But I never ended up on that 14 and 14 schedule. You were on some weird on-call thing. Yeah, it was 24-7. Cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. But, I mean, my lifestyle was pretty simple I mean I I had I just had my motorcycle and my dirt bike so all of my free time I spent on one of those two and that was that was it and you were renting you were renting down the street from the first house right um, with your friends or when yeah I rented with Mike and Don and that mm -hmm. was um, it was, I mean, it was still off of Ambassador, but it was a few miles north from the Bonaire house. Yeah. 
Oh, so we're not talking about the one that was in the same neighborhood as the one that I went to see. You remember when we went to look at houses for me and it was in the same neighborhood that you used to live in? Possibly so. It was right next to Eras Landry. Mm-hmm. When you bought your f- own first house, what feel what what was that like for you? What feelings did you have? Um it was a it was a relief um I guess it was a goal that I pushed myself towards pretty hard um, from being in the circumstances I was in high school where when I graduated I was I mean I was homeless if it wasn't for like having good friends with nice parents Um, so I guess I guess there was a a fear of returning to those circumstances um so buying a house i thought would relieve those fears uh but it didn't all it did was um reinforce them because then i felt like i couldn't afford the house so even though i bought a house at the very bottom of what you know my budget was um it didn't have the there was not the stress relief that i thought it would give me how i'm sure that you still deal with that currently um how how do you how do you continue to move through and past that feeling on a day-to-day basis um I mean, that that feeling was kind of what motivated me to leave Volkswagen and go to the management position at Giles because I it was a lot of uncertainty um, and I wanted to it was like, a, I guess, an exposure therapy that no matter what decision you make, you can always come back from it, you know, like. I'm good at working on cars, so I always have that. So I don't have to worry about that anymore as long as I'm, like, able to keep myself healthy enough to do it. Yeah. Speaking of health and uh, that kind of gig, when I when I met you, you were already really into uh, working out, and you were, like, pretty... Oh, super profesh you were pretty into dieting and working out every day and that kind of thing uh when did that start and where did that come from um i guess it started when i was well i always wanted like to lose weight and be healthier um which i still do but I started like actually going to the gym um, when I was, I guess, like 24. Um, and I didn't really know much, but I found a couple of programs that I was sore afterwards and they seemed, I seemed to be getting stronger. So it was working, you know? Um, and then that, 
I guess after a couple years, it just got to be a habit and like a necessary part of the day. So now it's turned into, you know, you kind of need to work out in order for your day to feel and start right. Yeah, I feel like crap if I don't. Okay. Uh, what haven't I asked about your life that, um, like, what what's a big part of your life that I don't know about or that I haven't asked about that you think I might have missed? Um, well, I think you know pretty much everything. And, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of things I could talk about now. But I, I don't know where I would start. Okay. Um, well, then we'll just move on to me being selfish and asking you about when we first met three years ago. What was that like for you? Um, it was exciting. You seemed, uh, you seemed very nice and very smart. So it was fun to talk to you and have good conversations. Yeah. Do I still seem that way? <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> What um, the people at home don't know, but you and I were long distance for three or four months before um, I moved home. What was, you had never been in a relationship like that before, and neither had I. What was your motivation to stick out? being what what was that I know what this that side of the side of the long distance relationship for me was like what was that like for you um I mean it was it, it wasn't that difficult for me because it was like we could talk for a few hours a day and then we just did our own thing <laughs> You're like, man, that was, those are the good old days. I miss those <laughs> days. Can we go back to that when, you know, you were never around? And we talked on the phone for an hour and you weren't so stinky. I couldn't smell you through the phone. <laughs> um, you were single for a hot minute before you met me what was what was that life like what did you discover about yourself in that time um i mean that that was the time where i really shifted my mindset and um i pushed myself to work really hard and to like work out really hard um and i got a good feel for like what I'm capable of, you know, it was a, it was a, I mean, that, those few months was, that was like a really good, good space for me, like mentally. What would you say is something that you took away from that time that you kind of put into your current self? Um, I mean, I guess it all goes back to like, you know, work ethic and, and like making myself push through times when I don't want to do stuff. Um, because 
during that time was when I really ramped up the amount of like side work I did and things like that. So, I mean, I would most days, well, I mean, every day I would wake up at five, go to the gym, go to work. And then most nights I would work from like five to nine on someone's car. Or if I wasn't working on someone's car, I would go home and work on the house to try and finish that never-ending remodeling project. Oh, yeah. I didn't ask about that. Your house flooded in 2016, and you worked on it, and I worked on it through 2020. Yeah. We finished it right before you put it on the market. Yeah. Which was last August. When you put when it went live, I think. I think so. So, four years it took, and by the way, I would like to point out that Lance says that I ruined the bachelor pad because, for those of you who don't know, Lance and Willie are very good friends, and after Willie's house flooded in 2016, he ripped all of the floors out cut the walls what was it eight inches of water yeah something like so that. so almost a foot up the walls and well, he just I had to cut out like two feet of the walls okay thank you for the clarification we uh we he had concrete floors when i met him and lance says that i was the one who convinced you to put the floors into the house and so i ruined it for him <laughs> I ruined your serial killer bachelor pad, as they say. Um, Can I tell the story about the flashlight? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So when I flew home to meet you for the very first time after living in Massachusetts and knowing you for two months and only having seen you on FaceTime, I flew home. You picked me up from the New Orleans airport you drove me back to your serial killer batch pad, you know? And uh, I think it was prop. what was it, like the second day or third day that I had been there? It was probably the second day. Mm-hmm. We were, okay, you didn't have a dining room. You didn't have a dining table. You had a TV stand with a TV on it and two dining room chairs with two TV trays in front of them. And I remember you, I think you had like come home either for lunch or from work that day. And we were sitting down and eating. And I think it was steaks or something. Yeah, I cooked steaks and asparagus. Treating me like a real queen. Mm-hmm. Eating steaks and asparagus on TV trays. <laughs> Been ungrateful for three years. <laughs> Oh, how did you get me, like, hook, line, and sinker three years ago with some freaking TV trays? Um, So, anyway, we're sitting down to eat dinner, and you're, of course, still in your work uniform. And, uh, you know, I didn't know you as a person yet. I I had only been talking to you over the phone for two months, and I had known you in person for two days. And so, you reached in your pocket. You reach in your pocket to grab something, and you put it down on the TV stand so aggressively. You just smacked it right on there, and I looked over, and 
I saw I saw like this round little tube thing and I started getting nervous. I was real nervous and you could see it in my face and I'm thinking in my mind, what is that? Is it a taser? Is it a, a knife? Is it a cow prod? What is this thing? And like I turned and looked at you and I, I'm pretty sure you were like, what's wrong? Because I looked so nervous. And I don't remember what I said. I think, I think I was like, what is that? Just so scared. And you looked at me and you were like, it's a flashlight. <laughs> I was like, man, I really thought you were going to kill me. Like, I thought straight up, I am just a tiny lady. This man has a taser. He's going to tase me and wrap me up like one of Dexter's victims. And no one's going to know. He's going to kill me and, you know, mop me off of the concrete floors and put hardwood on top of them. And no one's ever going to know. My family's never going to find me. And here we are. I still don't trust you. (laughs) No, you don't. Uh, what would you say has been one of the, one of your favorite moments of our relationship? Don't Um, get too excited. Not all at once. Well, the, the first trip that we had together and, um, and when I went to see you in Massachusetts was really fun when we, um, I mean, just all the things that we got to do together. It was cool. It was cool that you were so, um, willing to participate in the things that I liked too, like going to the Newport car museum and stuff like that. And we like actually spent a couple hours there. That was really fun, man. That was like the moment that I fell in love with. 9-11s was when we went to the the one in um, not Newport the other one the other one in Rhode Island I don't remember what that one that was the that was the um, the private collection and he had all his Porsches out oh I thought that was in Newport I thought that was the one that was on like in that super swanky area of Rhode Island. No, the Newport was the one that we got the t-shirt from. And they didn't have any sort of gift shop at the little private collection one that we went to. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah, we got they... a shot glass from the Newport one. We got a t-shirt for you. I don't think they had anything at the other one. But, no. man, that was a really good day. That was a that was a really, really good day. We drove out to Rhode Island from the Cape. And... What do we do? We hit up the Porsche Museum first. Mm-hmm. And then it was like Bellevue or something. Something like that. It was that. Bell something. And we drove down the street, which was full of mansions and all kinds of really cool stuff. And then there was this separate part of whatever part of Rhode Island this was where they had that trail, that rocky trail. You remember? Was that the one that went behind all the mansions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wrapped around it, but we couldn't go all the way around because it was, like, super slippery, and I don't think I had my hiking boots on or something so. like that. 
And then we walked around, saw some of the mansions. Then we hopped in the car, drove to go, drove to go horseback riding. And I said, man, I wish we could have seen more cars because I didn't realize that that museum was so small and so um, specialized. Like we didn't know that they only had that one exhibit for however long. So while we were on the way to the horse riding thing, we passed the Newport Car Museum. Oh, yeah. And we were like, oh, my gosh, I sure hope it doesn't take us all afternoon to ride the horses because I really want to go here instead. And that museum, while the the specialized exhibit was really cool to see, like, the history of the Porsches and stuff, that one with, like, all of the different cars and all the cool stuff was, like... One of the best parts of the trip. Yeah, that one was pretty cool. Yeah. Do you remember what your favorite car was in there? Mm. No. <laughs> I remember, I well, I have a picture of you standing next to like a silver one and I don't even know what it is. But no, like probably that old Jaguar supercar. Oh, yeah, I think that's what it was. I just remember, you know... Um, even, even before we went there, kind of throughout our whole, like, long distance part of our relationship, it was like, you know, it's always been so endearing to me to listen to someone talk about their passion and what they, like, really love in their life and, you know, what they're super knowledgeable about and what they really care about, you know, because Monique and I although that episode is gone now, talked about, you know, creative writing for an hour. And that's probably one of the best conversations I've ever had with her, you know, in gen- like for her and I, and then just in general in my life, like that's one of my favorite conversations that I've had with anyone because it's just so fun to listen to someone talk about what they really like to do. And I remember then, you know, I was just so, I I had never really been into cars the way that you're into cars. And so I was so enamored by, you know, all of the newness of not only the relationship, but of learning about, you know, what you are so knowledgeable of, you know. Um, and so that, that trip to Rhode Island is probably one of my favorites too. Um. There's a question from this post that I thought was really interesting and funny, and I'd like to hear your answer. So it says, tell us a surprising fact about me that the people don't already know. That's not embarrassing, please. Oh, that people don't know? Mm-hmm. You're so, you're very open with everything, though. I don't know what that wasn't super embarrassing, I would say. Is the me being open about everything supposed to be a dig at me, or is it like... No, I mean, that's just... You're an open person. It's just the truth? Yeah. Okay, maybe it can be mildly embarrassing. Man, that's a tough one. I'll let you think about it. All right. All we have is time. Interesting. (laughs) Well, um, I 
Something that only I know. Yeah. And if you can answer this question, the next couple questions are going to be about Corvettes. So you just have to make it through this one. Mm. And then we'll be home free. Do you uh, do you edit out all this dead space? Never. Oh, so people are just going to listen to me sit here and think? Absolutely. Unless it's five minutes. <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> Oh, the thing that they don't know about me can't be my screen time on TikTok. That reminds me. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Tell people about you that they don't know. Yeah, tell us a surprising fact about me that the people don't already know. I might cut out this dead space you're taking forever. Well, I don't, that's a lot of pressure. Just name a random fact about me, and I'll cut it out if I don't approve of it. What was the first thing that came into your mind? Well, we've been talking about car stuff, so I was going to say something about you driving a manual car. Oh, I do drive a stick car, yeah. I mean, that's kind of lame, though, but... Not a whole lot of people know that about me. Yeah. Um, while you think, I'm going to tell the story of how I started driving a manual car, so don't listen. You know this story. Just keep thinking. So... Uh, my very first car was a Chevy HHR. It was my grandmother's car. My dad bought it from her for way less than what it was worth. And he gave it to me with a coffee stain on the driver's seat. And uh, I loved that car with everything that I am and was and will forever be. I uh, drove it all through college um, I got in a wreck in it my freshman year and it, everything was fine. We got everything replaced my senior year. I got in a hit and run, uh, on the rear right side of my HHR and one of the very special and unique things about Chevy HHRs is that they're, uh, dual axle so or like they have a um they have a truck axle in the back dual was not the right word they have a truck axle in the no, back they have a straight axle yeah and so the way that the person hit me um broke the axle in such a way that it was irreparable in the way that a regular car might have been okay because of the way that the HHR specifically is built. So, my little HHR was totaled in a hit and run accident. And I was devastated, to say the least. I know that I have a fact now. You wrote a book. I'm sure not many people would know that. I did write a book. I did. And Monique and I talked about that in the podcast that is now lost in the ether so 
that's a little known fact about me is that I have written a book. I've in fact rewritten that book four times. <laughs> that's right. And another side fun fact about me is that I am also a published author, not the book that we're talking about, but I am a short story published author. Uh, the book is no longer available. It was a short release for uh, autism awareness and all of the proceeds from the short story anthology that we sold went towards that. And I think I still have a copy of it somewhere. I'm a published author too. What? Tell us more. Uh, well, when I was in like first grade, they had us write a book. And they published it, and mine was named Larry the Hairy Worm. <laughs> the way Larry the Hairy Worm. Oh, I remember you telling me about this now. Yeah. There are so many things that I could say in this moment that I'm going to choose not to say. Can I finish my story? Sure. So my HHR was totaled, and the insurance company called me and said, we can give you like four grand. That's it. And I thought to my broke-ass college self, I'm going to go buy a car that's worth four grand and, you know, not put myself in debt. And so I went to, uh, what was it, Ray Chevrolet, the one that's almost to the, like, interstate. Mm-hmm. And I said, what cars do you have for $4,000? And they drove me to the back lot on a golf cart. And they showed me this 2004 Volkswagen Beetle. It was red. It had a black convertible top on it. It had tan leather seats on the inside. And uh, my stepdad looked under the hood and said, looks like the timing belt is messed up. But other than that, it looks good. And uh, Only one of the most critical elements to the car being functional. Right, right. And the only thing that uh, kept me from buying it the day that I saw it was that it was a stick shift. And I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. So um, I went home and I marinated on it for probably less than 24 hours because, as you know better than anyone, I am manic and impulsive uh, in all the wrong ways. And uh, the next day I went and bought a car that I didn't know how to drive. And my mom drove me home. My mom had driven stick shifts my whole life and had tried to teach me multiple times and I just never caught on. Uh, One time she was trying to teach me on back roads in Kaplan and a guy pulled up behind me on a back road in Kaplan and honked at me because I kept killing the car at a stop sign because I didn't know that you could push the clutch and the gas at the same time. So, to that guy, I hope you're well. Anyway, that's my story about how I uh, know how to drive a stick shift and now I still currently drive a glamorous Mazda 3 2015 top of the line (laughs) stick shift sedan we love her the trunk doesn't even open there's not even a button on the trunk like you have to open it from inside the car or on the key which just absolutely my 2008 hhr had remote start and my 2015 car does not 
Most standards don't. Me and my Mazda have beef. Okay? I don't care if most standards don't. I wanted a remote start. Heated seats? It's 2015. Put some heated seats in the car. Come on. It's not hard. I'm getting the spicy head bob now. So let's move on. Uh, Okay, so what attracted you to your current make, model, year, whatever of Corvettes? Um, Well, I wanted a car that I could drive reliably um, and comfortably, like out of state or multiple state road trips for car events. Um, And I wanted a car that if I road raced or autocrossed would be competitive. Um, And the C5 Z06, which is what I bought, is that. Um, And also the price was if you got one with high miles and a couple problems, you could get one for a pretty solid deal. So that was what I found. I really wanted a C6Z, but those are still pretty expensive. And then all of the other cars I wanted, I wanted with a Corvette engine. So I figured I would skip that step and just buy the car that already had it. So tell me about the (laughs) couple of problems that your uh, current Corvette had when we went and got it. Uh, the water pump leaked coolant, so that had to be replaced. Um, the clutch was worn out, so that had to be replaced. The AC display, um, was out, uh, because of corrosion on the resistors. Um, the heads-up display was also not working, uh, for similar reasons. Um... I remember when you posted about the heads-up display that it was, like, pretty risky to switch that out. Well, I actually, uh, all of the electrical issues, I didn't replace anything. Uh, I just disassembled the components and and fixed it. Um, the heads-up display is just a whole lot of work for maybe you can't actually fix it and you just wasted an afternoon Uh, tearing the car apart. Uh, So you... Before the Corvette, you had your um, GTI, Mm -hmm. which we would race sometimes in autocross. You raced it more than... You raced it more times than when I went with you. I think I only went once. Right. No, I went twice for autocross in the GTI. Maybe. You're so deadpan. <laughs> Tell me about where your love for autocross came from and uh, why why that sort of event as opposed to anything else. Uh, well, autocross is fun because it's attainable um you only have to drive an hour to do it um you're only really driving the car for about six minutes so you can only do so much damage in that much time Mm -hmm. so like 
there aren't as many barriers to entry as to like true road racing where any outing is going to cost you know hundreds or thousands of dollars um this can be done in you know you only have to prep the car the night before and then you get on the road and you go race i mean we watch those like drifting videos together and those guys are out there for a minute like driving the cars you know like they're drifting for a while and they do a bunch of laps and it feels like a lot more you know like the tires get a lot more wear on them in those five minutes as opposed to the five minutes that they would be doing in autocross um yes but in drifting you would use a much cheaper tire in the rear um and then you also the the setup to drift is similar to autocross where you're not actually um on track as much you would do maybe two laps Mm -hmm. continuous and then you would pull off you know for your tires to cool and for the next person to go or the next group if they're doing tandem drifts yeah sure um okay so for your current corvette what modifications were needed for autocross or what modifications do you have on it now and what ones do you see yourself putting on it you know in the near future um well autocross classing is set up that basically as you build your car um you can kind of build it according to class rules that way you're never you're never like way out of your league um which i actually ended up doing to myself with my car because the first thing i did was put sticky tires on it um which put me in a class that has unlimited horsepower ratings and unlimited suspension modifications which my car doesn't really have much horsepower gain over stock and no suspension modifications so all i have done is an aggressive track well sort of aggressive track alignment and sticky tires and that's pretty much it Mm. Um, my tune is set up so that in competition mode It launches fairly well, um, which helps, but only a tiny bit. Mm. So I had a thought that uh, since I have so many questions about all the things that you just said, that we should start a podcast called No Stupid Questions, and you just answer all my stupid questions about cars. Nice. Because no stupid questions is a double entendre. You know, like there's no such thing as a stupid question. But also, you're the kind of person that would tell me not to ask stupid questions. (laughs) I always answer your questions. (laughs) Even the stupid ones? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you guys have any interest in the No Stupid Questions podcast, let me know. I might need like a... Like a Jamie. I'm, I'm pretty famous. Wow. Like, I'm pretty famous. I have, like, 27 average listeners, okay? I'm pretty famous. That's, like, a small family reunion size. It's 27 people. Like, 27 people probably show up to a family reunion. That's a barbecue. Ah, yeah. So, to my 27 listeners, maybe we can have a barbecue. All of us together. 
It's going to be all of my people from work. <laughs> all my friends. <laughs> Just the same people that we would have a barbecue with anyway. Normally. <laughs> okay, so lightning round. I'm going to ask you all the silly questions that came up on the post, and then we can. I'll let you go. Okay? All right. Okay. First, how did you find such an amazing woman like me? The internet. <laughs> uh, Amanda, the lady who uh, breeds weenies, wants to know if I can adopt Greg. Is He's a Greg little weenie, a weenie baby. No. <sighs> Too small. I didn't ask you about Rosie. Uh, part two. Uh, Deg wants to know how such a perfect human being was created like you. Um, I don't have anything witty for that one. All right, we'll come back to it. Uh, my friend who has a Sphinx cat wants to know if you want a hairless cat. Uh, the answer is yes. That defeats the purpose of a pet. That it's hairless? Because you don't want to pet it. I want to pet it. If you met Lucy, you would want a Sphinx. You know what? I'm going to set up an appointment with Lucy for you. We, we have to get on her calendar, but like, you know. Okay, uh, next is from Hillary. She says, when are you going to put a ring on it? With the skeptical hippo eyes emoji. Oh, it's a good question. That's a surprise. Oh. Is it like soon? That's a surprise. Okay, for those of you at home, he shrugged before saying that. So is that an I don't know if I'm ever going to do it or an I don't know if it's soon? It's a surprise. (laughs) Okay, so Carla, one of my friends from the gym, also said, when are you going to put a ring on it? And when are you going to buy me a Miata to race? Oh, that's a better question. You have to buy the Miata. You have to make Go buy me that Miata off the side of the road on the way to work for like 500 bucks. I don't know if that car's worth 500 bucks. (laughs) Okay, and then Carla also asked if you would let me have a Labradoodle because she thinks that we need a Labradoodle in our lives. Yeah, I wanted you to get a Labradoodle. Okay, so uh, I'm going to go adopt the dog tomorrow. And uh, Okay, so these are my questions that I want to ask. What would you name a dog if I brought a dog home? Oh, it, Wouldn't you name it? But what if I brought you a puppy home that was, like, your puppy? What would you name it? I don't... I only have one puppy. I only have room in my heart for Rosie. Oh, right. Um, okay. Well. So... So you just, like, pass it off to me? Yeah. Okay, so maybe I'll just get you a puppy, and then I won't feel... I'll be like, oh, I got you a puppy! So that you can't be like, oh, you got yourself a puppy, you can't have it. I'll be like, I got you a puppy. And you'll be like, oh, I only have room in my heart for one puppy and it's Rosie. So you're going to have to take it, I guess. And I'll be like, oh, no, I have to take the puppy. Darn. I really didn't intend for this to happen at all. Right? Right. What is your favorite place that you've ever been? Um, Probably Colorado. Where is somewhere that you haven't been that you would like to go? Um, Whistler. In Canada. Banff. Is that in Banff? No, Whistler's a bike park. Oh. And I don't know, I think it's somewhere around BC. Mm. Uh, 
Who is your favorite person in the whole world besides me? Um. Oh, I don't know. What if it's one of your 27 listeners and somebody else is also a listener and they'll get uh, offended? You're right. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite thing about me? I like your sense of humor. Oh. <laughs> you see? You think I'm funny? <laughs> what's your dream car? Um. Well, I mean, I have a ton. Um... I think the one, I don't know, I think a, a 911 GT2 RS would be one of my favorites, but I don't know how, I don't know how long I would enjoy it for. Mm, good point. Okay, my very last question before we log off. What are your dreams and intentions for your life going forward? Uh, build cool cars for cool people that's really straightforward yeah I'm glad that you have it drilled down to that because I feel like no offense but all the real estate agents that I work with we we work in such a volatile industry that it's kind of like I don't know I don't know my life's even I don't know what what the market's gonna look like in the next six months I don't know what what my life is gonna look like in the next five years I don't know. I just want to help people. Um, And, you know, kind of what I've always admired about you is that you have such a strong uh, and, like, willful work ethic and you always have something to work towards. So, very concise. Very, very good answer. If you build it, they will come. Oh, that's kind of gross. Why? I don't know. Where did you get that from? The Bible. (laughs) (laughs) thanks for joining me today you're welcome (laughs) is there anything that you would like to plug anything that you would like to mention before we get off of here no, I'm not as famous as you. Oh, so you think I'm famous and funny? So famous. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Um, well, I will plug it for you. Willie has a, you know, side gig where he works on cars for people. So if you know anybody that has cool cars that he can work on, let me know. Let him know. He's a great guy, you know. I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with him, so I would hope that I would be able to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to do a part two, I'm sure. There's going to be many more questions after this, but... All right. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> On behalf of myself and my guest, Willie Newmeyer, thank you for listening to this episode of the Two Story Podcast. We hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. <laughs>